Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Jay Helms, and I'm the founder of this podcast and movement known as the W2 Capitalist. Today's episode, we got a special guest, Dr. Gleb Sapersky. Uh, he refers to himself as Mr. T, which uh, from now on is what I'm going to call him because his name's a little, little uh, tricky for me to pronounce. But he is originally from the Republic of Moldova. Uh, his parents immigrated to the U.S. Uh, when he was 10, so he still has a little bit of an accent. Uh, but we get to talking about some amazing stuff. Um, and one, he drops a lot of good one-liners on here. And, and one of the things that we get into is talking about how classical economics and what I'm referring to there is, is um, uh, basically demand versus supply, right? We were all taught this in school, how this has ultimately been wrong from the very beginning. We just didn't have a different way to prove it. So he, uh, uh, so Dr. Gleb or Mr. T, whatever you want to call him, he has, let me go through his bio real quick. He is on a mission to protect leaders from dangerous judgment errors known as cognitive biases and by using business experience, behavioral economics, and cognitive neuroscience to develop the most effective and profitable decision-making strategies. Uh, he is the author, Dr. Uh, Mr. T is the author of several books, including The Truth Seekers Handbook, uh, Never Go With Your Gut, and he's got another one coming out here pretty soon, The Blind Spots Between Us, uh, How to Overcome Unconscious Cognitive Bias and Build Better Relationships. Uh, that's coming out in April 2020. I'm going to put links to all of these in the show notes, so make sure you check them out. But I want to make sure we've established him as a person we want to we want to listen to. So he and I first, when we first uh, want to bring him in, we do that at the very beginning. But let me, again get through his bio. So he's got over 20 years of consulting, coaching, speaking, and training for businesses and nonprofits. He serves as a CEO of a boutique consulting, coaching, and training company called Disaster Avoidance Experts. It's disasteravoidanceexperts.com. He, his expertise also comes from his research and teaching background as a behavioral economics uh, and cognitive neuroscience, studying the psychology of decision-making in businesses and in business and other contexts. Spent over 14 years teaching, uh, including seven years as a professor at the, the Ohio State University. And before that, a fellow at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. So before we, before I hit the record button, we were talking about Ohio State. He 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 let out a good go back guys, and I was like, ah, go Tigers, because uh, we just wrapped up the national championship game this year. Unfortunately, the Tigers didn't make it, but uh, uh, we did beat out his Buckeyes. Anyway, we had a little fun with that before we before we went. Uh, and I also mentioned meant to mention this. He, um, Doctor T or Mister Mister Glub, Mister T, whatever you want to call him. Uh, I meant to, I meant to, he, he's a guy that likes to have fun. I meant to poke fun of him that uh, his work has been all over the place. And when I mean this, he's been featured in Time Magazine, Psychology Today, CBS News, CNBC, NPR, Newsweek, Inc. Uh, the list goes on and on. The Seattle Times, uh, Houston Chronicle, some big name, name papers, right? The New York Daily News. But, I'm glad that he can finally knock off the W2 Capitalist podcast from his bucket list. Uh, I wanted to joke around with him about that. But he reached out, wanted to get on uh, some things that I'm very interested in learning more about and trying to get there. Uh, again, his books, 
uh, never, never go with your gut or never trust your gut uh, is one of the things that I've been tuning in when it comes to real estate investing. And now he's got the one coming out. I'm really focused in 2020 about building better relationships. And that's what his book, The Blind Spots Between Us, um, is focused on and is coming out in April. And at the end, I'll give you a little teaser at the end. We do flip a coin um, and you'll sit, you'll have to figure out who won. Just kidding. The coin flip thing will, will make more sense here in a minute. But before we get into the actual content, let me tell you about uh, dealcheck.io. It's one of our affiliates. Uh, I actually was supposed to interview uh, their founder today, and I had to reschedule uh, due to a family family thing, uh, which we're going to get that recorded here pretty soon. But dealcheck.io, uh, if, you're, if you're on BP or you're looking for some calculators just to analyze rental properties, flips, multifamily buildings, or just estimate cash flow to find the best real estate deals, you need to check out dealcheck.io. Uh, it's available for desktop, Apple, and Android devices. Over 225,000 rentals have and over 175,000 flips have been analyzed from 100,000 plus users in over five different countries, which is pretty incredible. Um, the cost to get started is very minimum. You get two months free, right? But when you sign up, you can use w, the promo code W2CAP and you can get this access from either our website, w2capitalist.com slash affiliates, or you can go directly to dealcheck.io uh, and make sure you use the promo code W2CAP to get an additional 25% off um, for when your plan actually starts to kick in. But try it for free. Make sure it's going to work for you. And I think the cost is pretty nominal. It's like seven or eight bucks a month for amazing, amazing stuff that, that um, reports, things that you can pull up. Uh, and from here on out, I'm just going to ramble on. So uh, I'll provide more details on dealcheck.io once we get uh, their founder, CEO, on board uh, the podcast. But for now... Let me introduce you to Dr. Gleb Sapersky, uh, who I'm now officially going to start calling Mr. T. He even gives his best Mr. T impression. I pity the fool who tries to pronounce my last name. So we had a lot of fun. Uh, but here, without further ado, let's get to work. capitalist. You are addressing the gap between your successful, fulfilling W-2 job and building wealth for your family through real estate investing. You are ready to earn, invest, repeat. Welcome to the W-2 Capitalist Podcast. Now, let's get to work. Here's your host, Jay Helms. All right, Gleb, welcome to the show. Are you ready to dive into this? Totally. All right. So one of the things that, and this is funny, and so we were just kind of chatting everybody about before I hit the record button, and I did not mention this, Gleb, but you are, I think, the third psychologist that I've had on the show. Um, Excellent. Everybody seems to be talking about similar stuff, and I don't know if because this is one of those things where uh, the more I get into investing, the more I start seeing, okay, this is more of a, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's more of a psychological thing. 
Absolutely. Well, right. you also know third time's a charm, right? <laughs> third time's a charm. Absolutely. Absolutely. But before we dive into some of the material, one of the things I want to make sure is we establish your credentials, right? So as W2 capitalists, we're looking to invest, right? And we're looking to make very smart decisions. Yes. Um, but why should I and why should folks listen to you, consume your content, some of the amazing books you've put out? and say, okay, this is real. This is what I should base my investing um, activities on. So why, why should we listen to you, number one, right? Yeah, so I'll start with an interesting study that was done by one of the large banks. I, know, I won't name which one. It was, studied, it was studying which of its investors made the most money. Okay. And what it found was that the investors who made the most money, literally the investors, and it was a large investment firm, you know, I'm sure some of the listeners are using that one. It found that the investors who made the most money were two types of investors. One, people who died. <laughs> two, people who forgot they had an account with them. That's funny. <laughs> literally. That, wow. And that should tell you everything you need to know about investing and the psychology of investing. So that right now, the baseline, the typical way we invest, we go with our gut intuitions, and that is a typical way that people invest. They inevitably result in buying high and selling low just because of the way our brain works yes. and the way the market cycle works. And, that's, and there's a lot of reasons why we do that, but there's basically we put bad bets on companies, make bad decisions, and that's pretty terrible for investing. Now, one of the reasons that Warren Buffett famously is ahead is that he learned to spot people's errors in thinking and go against those errors. And that is a very hard thing to do. That is not an intuitive thing at all, right. by definition. It goes against your intuitions. So if you want to actually get ahead in investing and not be like those losers who vastly <laughs> lost money because they you know, kept doing day trading when they shouldn't have, you want to be the kind of person who actually learns when your mind, when your gut is going to play tricks on you and yes. cause to make bad decisions. So that's kind of like the reason you should listen to me. Now, my background is that I've over 15 years in academia, so in cognitive neuroscience and behavioral economics, cognitive neuroscience studies why our brain causes us to make certain decisions. So I study that branch of cognitive neuroscience, the decision-making branch. So that's my cognitive neuroscience background. Behavioral economics explores how we as human beings behave in economic situations, which of course investing is. So yes. then right at the intersection of where you want to go, making yeah. the right decisions in financial situations. So Gleb, it's Dr. Gleb. Sapersky. Yeah, but you can, you, you, that's, my, that's my formal name. You can call me Glub. I'm fine with that. Uh, no, that's or if you're, yeah, or, or, if you, or, or if you like it, you can call me Mr. T. That's also good. Yeah, I like Mr. T. That's pretty yes, cool. I, that's very I, good. I, I, I pity the fool who tries to pronounce my last name. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're old, enough, you're old enough to get that joke. I mean, a number, number of your listeners are going to be like, what? What the heck is he talking about? Yeah, so if you can't tell if you're listening, Mr. T does have an accent here. He does pity the fool. Uh, but that's because you're originally from Re the Republic of Moldova, right? And you that's right. Yeah. So my, and, yeah, my parents in, immigrated when I was 10. So I got here in 1991 when the Republic of Moldova was freed from Soviet domination. So I really understand what it's like to be in a country that doesn't have a capitalist marketplace. I mean, I was 10 when I left, but I still have the like, parents' right. cultural heritage. So I very right. much appreciate 
the opportunities we have here and you know, to actually get ahead using smart financial decisions. Awesome. So, so let's dive into this whole thing that's called cognitive neuroscience and behavioral yeah. economics. All right. So just for the, just, so the most basic, and I do this with people at work who are much more technically smarter than I am. I'm like, explain it to me like I'm five because mm. I can get that. And that when my son who is five comes up and asks me a question, I try to figure out how to way to explain it to him. Now he's in some ways smarter than I am, but, um, <laughs> When it comes to cognitive neuroscience and behavioral economics, what are you actually talking about there? Yeah, cognitive neuroscience, like I said, is the way that our brain causes to make... There's a lot of stuff that people study within the broad field of cognitive neuroscience. It's basically about the brain structures that you know are part of our brain. So if you've heard about MRI studies where they look at various areas of our brain and what flashes, you know, what flashes when you see someone who is attractive for you? What parts of your brain flash? What part of your brain flashes when you think about money? What part of your brain flashes when you think about whatever? Whatever, how you feel. So what part of your brains are, brain is activated when various things happen? Of course, the various substructures, how we perceive things, how we see things. So anyway, so that's what cognitive neuroscience is about. How the various parts of our brain are actually implicated in our decision-making, in our thinking, in our feeling, in our behavior. So that's the cognitive neuroscience part. Now, the behavioral economics part is how do we as human beings behave in actual economic situations? And that's different from classical economics. So you might have heard of classical economics, things like supply, demand, what you're supposed to do. That's kind of the rational human model. So yeah. where if anybody's ever taken a any kind of course, my, macro or micro, whether it be in college or probably down in high school, you were introduced to supply and demand, right? And the mm -hmm. curve. So that's, that's a great, yep. I'm now uh, starting to get a clear picture. So thank you for using that reference. No, no, no worries. Well, what we now know in using, uh, in using behavioral economics is that the classical economics is macro wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, you know, when you think of actual human beings, they don't function on a steady, you know, supply and demand curve. <laughs> That's, That's not funny. how people actually function. That's not how people actually do things. So the assumptions of classical economics have been shown to be really incorrect in very many ways. That we make actual, actually our decisions are not based on simply, you know, having a desire for a thing and then slowly increasing, you know, when you, when you have the cost increase, then more people, less people buy. That's just not how we think. That's not how we yeah. work with money. So our money, because what the recent research on this has shown is that our decision-making is about 80 to 90% emotional. So again, I'm going to repeat that. Our decision-making is about 80 to 90% emotional, not rational. We don't think things through. We, what we do is actually rationalized. We think things through after we already made a decision emotionally. So that is just how we are wired. And that's how we keep being wired. That's, that's what we actually tend to do unless we correct for that tendency. And that's why so many people buy high and sell low. And so many people place bad bets when they shouldn't. Right. And yeah. Lots of people make bad decisions when... I'll, I'll give you a story. I'll give you an example of how things work. So let's say I talk, you know, come to a person and I say, hey, person, hey, listener of this podcast, here, here's $40. There you go. Just... Take the $40. Now, will you give me back this $40 that you now have in your pocket for a chance to have a coin flip and win $100? Mm -hmm. 
if the coin flip is heads and nothing if it's tails. So that's what you do. You know, the trade your forty dollars, which was we gave you the forty dollars, but right. you have the forty dollars for the coin flip chance of getting a hundred dollars or zero. Now, what would you, what would you do, Jay? I would I would say let's flip it. Let's figure okay. it out. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So I'm glad that you said that, that you would flip it. That's unfortunately the large majority of people would not. They would say, oh. you know, when you see about 80 to 90 percent of people would want to keep the forty dollars, and that's what the studies show. So that's one of the many reasons why people make bad decisions. They gotcha. want to feel safe. They hey, this money is in my pocket. I'm safe. It's all good, right? Well, what happens, think about the consequences, the equivalent of the $100 coin flip, that's 50%, you have a 50% chance of winning or losing. So the equivalent is 50% of $100, and that's $50. So your chance, so you're essentially keeping $40 instead of exchanging it for the equivalent of $50. Now think about what happens when you have many coin flips. Let's say a thousand coin flips. That is a difference of, you know, forty dollars for a thousand—that's forty thousand dollars versus fifty thousand dollars. Or you think about a million coin flips. That's the equivalent of, of course, forty million versus fifty million. Gotcha. So think about that consequence of what you're doing in the long term. It all adds up. Even though it feels safe to take the keep the forty dollars in the long term, it's a really bad idea to keep the $40. And really, our life is made up of a million coin flips. Over the course of your life, you can choose to make $40 million or $50 million. So if you don't commit to taking the little bit more risky course that feels less safe, but actually has the much higher long-term return that you're dooming yourself to making a lot of bad decisions. That's just one out of the many, many judgment errors that we tend to have as human beings. Gotcha. Let me ask you this though. So 40 bucks is not a whole lot for me, nope. right? A hundred bucks is not a whole lot for me, but let's say, let, let's increase those odds. Let's yep. say you give me 400,000 yep. and the chances to win $1 million. Yep. I'm probably going to hold on to that money. Mm-hmm. It depends <laughs> does, on does, how, that, does that mean I'm making a bad decision? It depends on how, how important the money is for you. So gotcha. if it, this is why I gave them example of a million court flips. So right. most of us, this is, the kind of decisions we make in investing is not for, unless you're Warren Buffett again, (laughs) you know, you're not making the 400,000 versus a million versus 50% chance of winning a million decision, right? You're making the $40 versus 50% chance of winning a hundred dollars decision or, you know, 4,000 versus, you know, versus 10,000. That's the kind of decisions you're making in your investing. You know, when I go to my portfolio and I decide, you know, buy or sell, that's the kind of decision I'm usually making. I'm not making, you know, the $100,000 decision. So it's not something you you shouldn't think about this in the way that it's going to critically impact your bottom line gotcha. to make that decision. But it's the kind of everyday decisions. This is what matters. Because when you do investing, it's the everyday decisions that really make a difference over the long term. And this is what people don't think about. You know, the everyday decisions that make a real difference over the long term, huge difference. This is, again, just one out of many cognitive biases that we have. And cognitive biases are the decision-making errors that we're all prone to. This is called loss aversion, where we as human beings are much more likely to try to avoid losses than go for gains. Because yeah. this is how our brain is wired. <laughs> In yeah. the, so, and that's where, where Never Go With Your Gut comes from, my, the title of my book, 
uh, never go with your gut, how pioneering leaders make the best decisions and avoid business disasters. Because our gut reactions, according to this research, are really not adapted for the modern world. They're adapted <laughs> to the savanna environment. That's yeah. what they're for. You know, in the savanna environment, we needed to preserve all the food we can, all the resources we can. You know, if we kill the mammoth, right, we couldn't freeze the rest of the meat. So, you know, we couldn't invest it in a bank. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> we didn't, it was bad for us to have too many resources. It wasn't helpful. Whereas okay. if we gave up the, you know, small amount of meat that we had, if we took risks, we were likely to die. <laughs> so in that sort of savage, you know, primitive environment. So that's world. Right. Yeah, it's a really different world. So our instincts, our intuitions, our gut reactions are adapted for a different world. And this is just one out of the many ways that they tend to go wrong with loss aversion. Gotcha. Let's circle back to how classical economics is, is I think your, your phrase was classical, classical economics is macro wrong. That's right. right. So um, I'll keep think, sitting here thinking, okay, when I was in school, Pluto was a planet. At some point in time, <laughs> yes. it wasn't a planet. Now it's a planet again. I think is having an identity crisis. I don't know. But, you know, macroeconomics, the classical economics that you and I probably were taught in school yes. is now wrong. Or, so my question is, has it always been wrong? We just didn't have another way of... Yeah, it was, it was always wrong. Gotcha. Because the presumption of classical economics, again, is that people are rational. That is the fundamental, <laughs> fundamental, fundamental yeah. presumption. People no, I are mean, not rational. You, exactly. So already, you know, it doesn't make common I mean, sense. guys that, like you and I, we're rational. Right? Sure. In every I, no, decision. No, not, not, not at all. I mean, we're yeah. all making, you know, our 80 to 90% of our decisions are emotional. It's just about how you train your emotions. Yeah. Because, you know, let's take another example of emotional decision making. Our gut intuition is to eat as much sugar as possible. As much sugar as possible. So that's kind of... We needed to do that in the savannah when we came across, let's say, you know, uh, bee, honey, whatever, to eat as right. much sugar as possible in order to thrive and survive and flourish. And we are the descendants of those who ate as much sugar as possible because they're the ones who survived and thrived. Now, in the current world, if you get a box of dozen donuts and you just eat that, <laughs> you're not going to thrive. You're not going to flourish. This is one of the reasons why. We have the obesity epidemic here in the United States because of that gut intuition to eat as much sugar as possible. And the food companies, we're in a different world. The food companies are feeding that gut intuition, right? Literally. Mm. And so that's a problem. For, yeah. But hopefully many of the listeners, if not all, have learned that, you know, if you eat more than two donuts, you know, that third donut is too much. You know, two is a-okay, but that third donut, you're going too far. So hopefully you've learned that. You know, similarly, you've hopefully learned that you can't just sit on your couch and watch Netflix all day, even <laughs> though it might feel fun. Again, in the savannah environment, it was really important for us to preserve our energy for the hunt when yeah. we were males, you know, or, you know, going foraging for women, most of them, you know, in terms of gender balance. Right. Now, right now, it's really important for us to actually get off our butts and go to the gym, you know, put on our sweats or go walking once a day, you know, 30 minutes, right? right. So 
that is something we had to learn over time. And that's what medicine taught us. Now, if you think back to medicine about 100 years ago, that's when doctors were selling snake oil, you know, which was a mixture of cocaine, alcohol, and sugar. <laughs> yeah, where's that stuff at today? <laughs> and, and that's Coca-Cola. I mean, that's Coca-Cola. That's what Coca-Cola, I mean, literally, the yeah. Coca and Coca-Cola came from cocaine. Right. <laughs> that's, where it, that, that's where that used to be. So this is kind of the consequence of that. So this is the this is the kind of advice, you know, if your doctor told you right now to go and eat a do- box of dozen donuts and just, you know, sit and watch Netflix all day, hopefully you would fire the doctor. <laughs> I don't know. I might keep him around. I don't well, <laughs> I know. Uh, I know. Yeah. But unfortunately, people who tell us to go with our gut and follow our intuitions, kind of the Tony Robbins of the world, the Malcolm Gladwells who tell us to blink, they are selling the snake oil of business advice, of financial advice, of investing advice. That's the equivalent of snake oil because the research on business decision-making and financial decision-making is only right now beginning to be popularized, is Mm. only right now coming to the fore because we're only now, you know, the body is much easier to understand than the mind. So we're only now starting to understand how the mind works. And just like the doctors who are using evidence-based medicine were fighting against the snake oil salespeople, doctors of the end of the 18th century, beginning of the 19th century, I'm doing the same thing against the snake oil salespeople of business and financial investing advice right now, who unfortunately are the folks who get all the money because they tell you to do what's comfortable. They tell you to do what you would like to do anyway. You know, buy high and sell low, right? That's what we (laughs) want to do. That's what feels good to us because it's scary. It's scary to take profits when we should take our profits. And it's scary to kind of, you know, keep on to stocks when we you know, when we feel like, oh, we should sell the stock. So this is the bad advice that we need to deal with every day. And this is the bad thought patterns and feeling patterns that we need to deal with if we're actually going to succeed in our investing. So what are some of the things you mentioned this earlier about, you know, our decision making process, 80 to 90% of those decisions are made from an emotional standpoint, right? Which is bad news in most cases, right? There's probably there's probably some uh, exceptions to those rules, right? Uh, but for the majority of the, of those, uh, decisions, how can we, especially, so we're talking about investing, right? We're not talking about, uh, how you treat your loved ones or anything like that. We're talking about investing, right? Trying to get away from that buy high, sell low. We want to flip it on its head. Mm -hmm. How can we train ourselves to not listen to those emotions, right? So the first thing you need to understand is learn about these cognitive biases. And the cognitive biases are all deviations away from ideal decision-making. So that's what cognitive biases are. So if you, you've probably heard of them, these are the kind of problems that we need to deal with. And you need to learn about them. Of course, in, in order to actually deal with them, you need to learn about them. And then once you learn about them, you need to figure out which ones you personally are most prone to. Again, loss aversion is one example. I'll give you another example called optimism bias, where people tend to be way too optimistic about the future. People who are optimistic tend to be risk blind. They tend to think that, hey, you know, everything will be hunky-dory, this will be great, this will be a great buy, Uh, you know, things will go great. They tend to be, have too high expectations for what stocks or, you know, what new career or whatever job, whatever they do. Those people are usually salespeople. Huh? 
Those people are no, usually salespeople. Actually, sales people. Sell, actually, people who are optimists tend to be people in leadership positions because okay. they tend to they tend to have more charisma. So, if you are a small business owner, you're very likely to be an optimist because gotcha. you tend. Uh, it's very. It's kind of hard to open a business. Business you have to deal with a lot of failure. I mean, yes. I I know yep. this myself. I run a consulting coaching company disaster avoidance experts of six people. So I had to deal with a lot of failure as I was starting up a business. So I know that. And I am myself very optimistic. So I know that this is a problem for me. I tend to think the grass is green on the other side of the hill and it very often tends to be yellow. So <laughs> it's something that you need to learn about yourself. You need to learn about which of these biases you personally are most prone to and then how you can correct for them. So you need to learn how optimistic are you. You know, do you tend to be too optimistic by 50%? Do you tend to be optimistic by 80% or 30%, whatever? You need to learn that about yourself. You need to learn which biases you are most prone to and how much how prone you are to them because each one of those is in a spectrum. You know, there's pessimists in the world and that's the opposite bias where you tend to have too, <laughs> you're too, too risk averse. You know, you would definitely keep the $40. You'd probably keep the $20 instead of trading it for a flip, for a flip of the coin. So you so that will be a big problem for you. You would tend to have too low expectations. Pessimists almost never start businesses because, I mean, if you look at the statistics on small businesses, about half of them fail within the first five years and about two-thirds of them fail within the first decade. Yeah. Pessimists look at those statistics and they'll say, no, no way. Optimists say, hey, you know, I'll, I'll take a chance, right? So gotcha. both of them can make a lot of mistakes, but you need to learn where you are and how you can correct for those mistakes. And again, those are just two. So planning fallacy, optimism bias, and pessimism bias are just three out of 100, over 100 cognitive biases in my book. Never go with your gut how pioneering leaders make the best decisions and avoid business disasters talks about the 30 most dangerous cognitive biases for investments, for decision-making in business, and how you can address them. So that's the first part. And the second part, there are some science-based strategies that you could use to address each of the cognitive biases. So in the book, I talk about five questions you can ask for everyday casual decisions and the eight steps for more thorough decision making. That the eight steps will be take about an hour to do. It takes it's a pretty thorough step. The five questions should take about a couple of minutes to do for more casual everyday decisions if you want to decide about investment or anything like that. Gotcha. And you've mentioned that book a couple of times and it has a very lengthy title, which I appreciate because it tells me what's inside the book. Uh, and I'll make sure to make that uh, link to that in the show notes. It looks like every one of those are available on Amazon. Mm -hmm. We can even uh, pre-order your, your new one that's about to come out right too. Yes. the, uh, oh, I just the, had the, the name of it. The blind spots between us. So yes, yes that, that's, that talks about professional relationships and personal relationships how you manage those and how you address problems. You know, there's a reason there's a 40% divorce rate in this country. And this is, yeah. you know, the book, you know, that's one of the things the book talks about. And of course, people screw up their professional relationships a lot. And yeah. that's another thing that the book talks about. Yeah. So I want to, I want to jump into that real quick, but before we do, I want to go back to the never yeah. trust your gut. So of course. Uh, it's kind of funny. We, we had our uh, the mastermind, our lead, um, and I'll do a brief commercial. If you're interested in, in knowing about it, just go to w2catalyst.com slash mastermind you, and you can sign up and, you, and whoever, I'll have a 30 minute consult with you uh, to see if the mastermind is good for you or, or, or not, right? Um, 
but basically in there it's real estate invest w2 capitalist it is the name right it's it's people who work a regular w2 job who are focused on building their real estate empire um uh, or just wanting to add additional streams of income and we're talking this morning about um uh, one of the members in there he's been there for about a year a little over a year actually and it's been amazing to see him grow um and he's been working with these folks. Um, they've put together this deal and he, and this morning he was like, I just don't, I just don't know about it. Like I, I, anyway, we talked about it for a while and I basically, we basically some summarized and said, look, you really like the people that are in this deal. You don't like the deal yourself. He goes, no. I was like, so why are you doing this deal? He goes, I don't know. Like I, I want to be able to trust my gut and just back out of it. So when we say trust your gut and that feeling, he's actually trusting his brain and the merits of the deal, right? He's not going off of those negative emotions that say, Hey, you should do it anyway. Right. It's mm -hmm. a little bit different, but, um, when it comes to things of that nature, when your gut's telling you, is it really your gut that's telling you that, or is it your brain? And we're just we just have the two confused. Does mm. that make sense? I kind of went around. It's, a, it's a very it's a very useful question. Okay. So one of the things that you want to realize is that the gut is a very fuzzy concept. Yeah, <laughs> that we have a lot of trained instincts. What you want to do, what I talk about in the book a lot, is how do you retrain your instincts to go from the bad instinct of eating a dozen donuts to the good instinct of stopping at two donuts. Yeah. <laughs> the bad instinct of you know, sitting on the couch all day to the good instinct of putting on to your sweats and going to the gym. Right. So those are things you've probably learned about. You know, the same way you've learned to not eat with your hands when you're a baby. I mean, in the primitive savanna environment, you have to learn how to, do the, how to eat with your hands. That was just the thing. Right. Here, you probably learned how to eat with your fork and knife you know, except everything except pizza. And if you eat that with a fork and knife, you're weird. But <laughs> <laughs> or, or you're a child, right? Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> but so what you want to do is learn what are the right things to retrain yourself. So for example, a lot of people think they can spot liars. A lot of people. You know what? There was a really interesting study done on the security forces, say FBI and say you know, uh, the Secret Service and so on, it found that those people who are specifically trained to spot liars and so on, they succeed at a rate of about 52%. Mm. That's about a coin flip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll take That's the 40 horrible. bucks. I'll, uh, I'll take the 40 bucks and let's flip it. <laughs> yeah. They think they can spot liars. They overwhelmingly can. The Secret Service is actually the only branch that can spot liars at a significantly higher rate than average. Because there are a lot of signs, you know, people say, look right, look left. You know, people have a lot of anxieties and insecurities. And yeah. those can come through as people being unconfident or liars. And those don't necessarily indicate at all that, you're, that the person you're speaking to is a liar. So our gut, our intuition often reads people wrong. And, you know, sorry to tell you this, but that's what happens. So what you want to do is learn the actual things that cause you to make bad decisions. And one of the things, you know, I'm talking about this guy who's making the deal. One of the things that causes people to make bad decisions is last minute insecurities. You know, when your bride or groom flees right before a wedding, same thing. <laughs> and it's, you know, it doesn't mean that the marriage was a bad idea. It means that they were feeling anxious. 
And anxiety, of course, is one of the emotions that we are all prone to. 80-90% of our decision-making is emotional. So this person, I don't know if he's feeling last-minute cold feet, whether that's coming from a sense of anxiety or whether it's coming from, hey, there is actually something wrong with his deal and he likes the people and therefore he doesn't want to acknowledge there's a part of him that doesn't want to acknowledge that there's something wrong with the deal just because he likes the people. Mm. So the social gotcha. conformity is one of the cognitive biases that we suffer from very much. Yeah. When other people do something, we really want to do the same thing that they do if we like those people. That's called tribalism. And tribalism, of course, comes from the savannah environment. It was incredibly mm. important for us to be tribal in order to survive. Because if we were going, if we were kicked out of our small tribe of 15 to 150 people, we would die in the savannah environment. Right. <laughs> so it's, we are very conformist by nature. And yeah. that's something that we all tend to be. So if people we like and trust and respect tell us to do a deal, we will tend to do that deal regardless of the quality of the deal. Gotcha. And sometimes the deal will be bad and sometimes the deal will be good. So you want to be able, one of the things that, I would strongly recommend to this person is a switcheroo. So here's what the, here's what the specific te technique would involve. Imagine that he was doing this deal with somebody he doesn't know. He doesn't know these people, kind of neutral, completely, you know, doesn't know these people. And would he do the deal with these people if he doesn't know them? That would be the kind of question I would have that person ask. So yeah. have them put themselves in the mind you know, of somebody they don't know. Would they do the deal? If they wouldn't do the deal with people they don't know, well, maybe you shouldn't do the deal with these people. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a way, and that is one of the ways that we address cognitive biases. So gotcha. my book talks about the mental habits that you can develop to address cognitive biases. And this is one of the mental habits. Replace the thing that causes you to be emotionally attached to whatever you're trying to do with something that gets you away from that emotional attachment. And if here the emotional attachment is specifically the group of people, you want to replace that with something neutral. You know? Imagine trustworthy people who you don't know. And therefore, yeah. that will help you address the problem. And, you know, we talked about, um, he, he talked to these folks and said, look, I, I don't like the deal, you know, and, and expressed his concern. There were some issues. In it. Was, they basically said, look, uh, if you don't like the deal, don't do it. Right. There's that does not mean that we're going to kick you out of the tribe as you were talking. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean we're going to kick you out of the tribe. There's going to be plenty of other deals come along. And um, they, they just basically said, look, if you don't like the deal, don't do it. And I looked at him and I said, if that were me, that would make me want to do the deal. <laughs> you know, just, but, but so what is that called? Is that, but that's kind of reverse psychology where people are, Maybe okay. trying to persuade you with saying, oh, don't do this, and you now you want in because yeah. of a sense of scarcity that something will be taken away from you. And that's one of the cognitive biases that we're all prone to that, again, in the Savannah environment, stuff was scarce. So yeah. we had many less opportunities than we have right now. And yeah. we would tend to jump at those opportunities. Whereas in the modern world, we have way, lots and lots and lots of opportunities. We are overwhelmed by opportunities. So we, we have much less scarcity than we actually experience in the Savannah environment. Right now, the challenge is where do we invest our resources, our time, yeah. money, ca capital, and so on. But we still have those primitive instincts that cause us to be triggered by scarcity. And that's something that you want to be able to, differ to distance yourself from. Yeah. Be able to say, okay, this is a scarcity impulse. What you want to do 
I, with all of these cognitive biases, you want to learn that, hey, this is a thing that's happening right now. Let me distance myself from this emotional thing and let me use my head instead of using yeah. my gut. <laughs> yeah. what, what would I do in this situation if I had 100 deals like this or similar? Whatever. Would, I, would I still choose to do this one or would I choose to not do it or you know what? Yeah, patience is, patience is a part of being a good investor, right? Yep. Again, the best investors you talk about uh, or the bank when they did their study was they were either dead <laughs> or they forgot they had an account, which is incredible, yes. incredible. And I don't want to, I don't want to compare our scarcity to, you know, trying to survive on the primitive Savannah, as you keep referring to, but in today's real estate market, there, uh, the deals are, are, are pretty scarce, right? In certain local regional markets. Uh, mm -hmm. But so that does come into play. I know of it course does, it does. Right? So here, I mean, I live in Columbus, Ohio, which is one of the hot markets. And so I know what you're talking about. But the crucial thing is opportunity costs. You know, when you have a, when you have mm -hmm. a deal, let's say, let's, you know, 100,000. And let's say you have 500,000 to play with. So a deal would cost you 100,000 of your 500,000. That means you can only take five shots. Yeah. And that means that you want to be very careful with the shots you take. This is the Warren Buffett strategy. We talked about Warren Buffett at the you know earlier onward. You know, one of the reasons that he is successful is he's very picky about his deals, and he wants to make sure that he will have a very strong return, likelihood of high return on his deals because he understands how limited his resources are. And this is Warren Buffett we're talking about. You know what? You're not Warren Buffett unless you're Warren Buffett, in which case you know I'd like some of your money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I Warren Buffett, I would be very uh, cautious about how I was going to invest with you, right? <laughs> That's right. So, you know, think about the Warren Buffett's kind of mentality. Think about right. that opportunity, what's called opportunity cost, you know? So where else can you invest your money and how much would that cost? You always want to be thinking about alternatives. Right now, you can be pretty, you know, safely making at least 5% and probably more in the stock market. So that's kind of one choice of your investment. And you want to be thinking about where you can make more money and how much money this deal will take you, how long it will take you to pay off, how fixed, how locked in your money will be because your money in the stock market is not locked in. You can always take it out. Yeah. So those are all things you want to be thinking about and you don't want to be triggered by scarcity into doing a deal that you don't want to do, that you yeah. actually would not make sense for you. Yeah, so let's talk about the stock market a little bit, right? And let's talk about what you see in your crystal ball because the stock market, and, and we're recording this early uh, 2020, forget yes. what year it was, it's early 2020. The stock market has been on a soar, right? Hitting record highs um, for quite some time for, I don't know, last six months, last year or two, something like that. It seems like every other day a new record high comes out. Um, there's a lot of skepticism out there that says this can't go on forever. Mm -hmm. Right. And even, and so when I, I compare, I don't think this is the right thing for me to do, but when I hear about what the stock market is going to do, I feel like that's eventually going to affect real estate. So I tend to watch the stock market to see what it's doing, but I don't necessarily, I invest very little in the stock market because what you said earlier. I mm -hmm. buy high and I sell low and, and yes. get emotional about those deals where real estate, I can step back and I can look at the merits of the deal and say, mm -hmm. am I going to do this or not? And based on our formulas that we use, uh, we've been 
pretty fair, right? I would say mm-hmm. one last year we sold a property at a loss. Uh, I just wanted to get rid of it. I bought it on an emotional decision and it did not pan out like I wanted it to. So I've, I've learned from that, but for the most part, we've done, we've done very, very well mm-hmm. when it comes to this. So where do you see the stock market going in the next six months or a year? Uh, and what should we be doing to kind of head ourselves against any kind of a change, right? Negative change. Mm-hmm. Well, it's January 19th, 2020 right now. Right. So looking at the stock market as it is right now, I definitely say it's overvalued and you want to take your profits. So you want to exit it right now. I have no idea where it will be a month. Uh, I mean, I, I don't, I think probably a month from now it will be lower than it is, but I'm not confident. I'm pretty confident that in six months from now it will be lower than it is just because it's it's way too overvalued compared to the current compared to the reality of the situation yeah (laughs) and uh if you look at who is making the big moves you're not going to see really big players like pension funds and so on invest into into stocks more they're actually going out of stocks and these are people who kind of know what they're doing so I would recommend that people, if you know January 19, 2020, and you can record the date, you know you you probably should be going out of stocks right now. Gotcha. Um, all right, so we're getting close on time, but I do want to talk about your new book that's coming out. <clears throat> Again, it's available on Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's called "The Blind Spots Between Us: How to Overcome Unconscious Cognitive Bias and Build Better Relationships," which is one of the things that I'm focused on this year. Again, uh, I don't mm-hmm. remember if I hit the record button, but you reached out and saying, "Hey, I want to be on your podcast." When I started, I was like, "Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to talk to you." Um, I'm definitely going to grab. It. This is weird too because most of the time, um, I've already read your books, right? And we chat about stuff specifically in the book, so maybe we can do a follow-up show. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but one of the, and, and so the other day we're, I was at work and we have a question of the day amongst the, amongst the team there. <clears throat> and question of the day was, Hey, what are you focused on? Right. Mm-hmm. For this year. Um, and mine was build better relationships. Yeah. Wow. And That's so awesome. I want to, and it's not necessarily the quantity, but it's the quality, right? Yes. There are some relationships that I know I'm not being the best person in that relationship, um, that I need to focus on, uh, because I think I can help them and they're definitely going to help me or they're already helping mm-hmm. me their fair share or, or every, how you want to look at that. Yep. But from your studies and your findings and, and putting together this book, what are some of the things we can expect when we can get our hands on it? One of the things you can expect is learning how to be the emotional adult in the room. (laughs) So this is a big problem. Probably one of the biggest problems with relationships, if not the biggest, is that people let their emotions run rampant in relationships. Whereas they don't let their emotions run as rampant in professional interactions or in financial investing or in you know, other life areas. They say, well, I feel anxious, therefore something's bad. Or I feel sad, therefore this person is making me sad. Or I feel angry and therefore this person is making me angry. You know, and you, what you don't realize is that your emotions are honestly coming all from you. 
you, it's about, it's all about your beliefs, what you think is the right thing to do, what you think is the right thing to happen. And your emotions are causing you to react to external stimuli. So you see somebody doing something and you feel angry. You see someone doing something, you feel anxious or you feel sad. It, it's most likely not at all about that person. It really is about you. When people say, it's not me, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're most likely wrong. It's actually you. <laughs> yeah. If I could spot a liar, I would call you a liar. <laughs> yeah. So this is a problem that people need to realize that they're dealing with. And what you want to do is be able to differentiate very carefully and thoughtfully your emotions about the situation from the reality of the situation. This is a fundamental skill that the large majority of people don't have. <laughs> they are not able to say, hey, I feel anxious. Well, okay, I feel anxious. That's too bad. You know, I probably don't want to feel anxious. Let me stop back from this anxiety and think, well, what's happening here? Am I anxious that this person will stop liking me? Am I anxious that this person will leave me? You know, let's say you're invited to a party and you are you want to go to that party. But you kind of don't. You're like, well, you know, I have lots of work to do at home. I don't actually want to go to the party. And you finally end up going to the party, even though you kind of go to the party and you're miserable at it and you're like, oh, I really wish <laughs> yeah. I was doing the work at home. Did you go to the party because you feel like your relationship with this person would be, you know, hurt and ruined and they wouldn't like you because you went to the, you didn't go to their party? How many people listening to this podcast go to parties because of this? How right. many people do events because of this feeling of anxiety? Now, how wonderful would it be to learn to say that, hey, you know, I really like you. This is a wonderful opportunity. I'm just way too busy right now to go to the party, but, you know, I'll meet with you sometime or something like that. Right. That is a skill where you need to be like, okay, I'm feeling anxious about the situation. And I want to distance myself from the anxiety in order to make the right decision for me and for my goals. And okay, this is the decision that I make. So that's kind of one out of incredible, out of very many skills that you need to learn about in order to have better relationships. You want to be the emotional adult in the room, which means understanding your emotions and understanding other people's emotions. So that is a critical skill that I would strongly encourage other people to be able to develop because if you don't develop that skill, if you don't develop the skill of emotional awareness and emotional management, you're not really going to get ahead in your relationships. You're not going to preserve and build those quality relationships that you really want to make sure to build. I'm so glad my wife's not listening to this right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she would be punching me in the arm saying do you hear this do you hear this are you paying attention how can i get this book <laughs> let me get it and highlight it for you there you go you did a great job there by the way i had to step away from the mic to grab something and uh uh i gave you a little motion which i hope you understood is keep it going until i get right back so that was that was pretty cool um so the book basically focuses on not necessarily building better relationships outwards, a focus on where I'm lacking inwards, right? And making those things aware. And, and one of the things that and I'm trying to remember, uh, it's, it's not, might be the way of the warrior kid. It's a, it's a book by Jock. It's a kid's book by Jocko Willing that I'm reading with my son. And it talks about, um, and I, I love this by the way, but he, this kid goes through, he's getting bullied, right? He's talking about being, don't be a bully, take up for kids who are getting bullied and that sort of thing. But it, the kid in the book who's about six or seven years old 
um, starts getting really mad in certain situations. Mm. And his uncle in the book says, well, that's your red, that's your red flares. When red flares go off, you need to take a minute and pause. And so my son actually stopped me in this and he said, so what does that mean? I was like, well, you know, mm. and I, I had a very specific situation where he and his sister, uh, his middle sister, um, got into an argument. I'm sure it was over some, some toy. And I said, do you remember that that happened and how you clenched your fists and you, your face got really red and you just started, I was like, those are flares. I said, so when you clench your fist, you just need to sit there and start taking deep breaths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he's yeah. learning that. And there are times and where he takes all of a sudden I'll just see him taking real, you know, deep breaths. And, and, uh, I love that he's grasping the concept, but it sounds like this is very similar, right? You're becoming aware of those flares that are going to make that you're having those, not only are you making emotional investing decisions, but you're making emotional, uh, quote unquote outburst. Right. Mm -hmm. And which is tearing down that relationship. Yeah. It's more inburst where you're Mm -hmm. causing yourself to where your beliefs, your perceptions are causing yourself to have negative reactions to the situations, harmful reactions. Again, as I mentioned, there's a reason there's a 40% divorce rate in this country. Yeah. There's a re, I mean, let's say, you know, fights, conflicts. Did you know that large majority of them come from misunderstandings, miscommunication, where people miscommunicate, misunderstand each other, and then they make assumptions about the miscommunication, misunderstanding that caused them to have really unnecessary conflicts whether in professional relationships, whether in personal relationships. I mean, so many, and I, I, I hate to see people suffer, but, and I see those sorts of things happen all the time. Right. And what you're doing for your kid, Jay, is wonderful for your son. That's, you're helping him learn emotional management. I wish more parents did that for their children. Those are things that we learned. Okay, you know, we can't you know, punch other kids <laughs> or other adults, or it's a bad idea to do so. <laughs> well, there's got to be a certain situation. <laughs> I'm yeah, not saying you can't yeah. do it, but... <laughs> right, right, right. No, I know what you mean. Which we, most of the time, we shouldn't unless we know we can get away with it, of course. <laughs> <laughs> or they deserved it. Dead they deserved yeah. it. That's right. <laughs> they led me down a bad investment decision no i'm joking there, there you go don't but punch that's anybody because in a bad investment decision that, because that, it ultimately comes down when it comes down to investing right you, mm-hmm. you can never get and this is whether it's your marriage or whatnot ultimately and i'll, I'll refer back to jocko willing is you are the person who's responsible for that decision mm-hmm. right so if you're getting mad at anybody it's going to be at yourself right you need to look in the mirror yeah, as the old saying goes so um gleb mr t I've enjoyed this thoroughly. Um, I've got your website here. Uh, disaster. Disaster avoidance experts.com. There you go. I couldn't even disaster avoidance experts.com. Uh, so folks can reach out to you there. Where else can, um, get folks get in touch with you? Well, Folks can get can get in touch with their disaster avoidance experts that come. So there's a blog, videos, podcasts, training, consulting, coaching that you could check out. There's a course called Wise Decision Maker Course. So it's decision making 101 on your financial investing and other things that you want to learn about and avoid screwing up in. It's going to be at disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe. Free course of eight video-based modules, disasteravoidanceexperts.com slash subscribe. Now, my book, Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions to Avoid Business Disasters, 
available in bookstores everywhere right now. So check out physical bookstores, online bookstores, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, whatever. And my next book, The Blind Spots Between Us, will be out in April 2020. And finally, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so I suggest you connect with me there. Dr. Gleb Saporsky, G-L-E-B-T-S-I-P-U-R-S-K-Y. And I'll make it easy for everybody. I'll put links in the in the show notes just for that. Before we get out of here, what I had to step away with, from to get, I've got a jar of coins here. We're going to flip a coin. All right. <laughs> just for fun. Now you're going to have to trust me that I'm not doing anything abnormal because the camera doesn't go uh, very far. But you're mm -hmm. going to call it, all right? You ready? Okay. Heads. It. Heads. It is tails, actually. Oops. Okay. <laughs> Lost the money. <laughs> uh, Dr. Gleb, I've enjoyed it thoroughly. I hope we get to do this again soon. Um, mm -hmm. I'll, uh, again, post everything, mm -hmm. uh, links to everything we mentioned here in, in the show notes. And uh, we'll see you soon. Excellent. Thank you for having me, Andrew. Thank you.